The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives for newly appointed agents. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the United States Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp. That's cbp.gov careers usbp. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Hello, everyone. My name is Santiago, and this is Between the Numbers, Episode 2. First of all, I want to give a big uh, thank you to everybody that was able to listen in to the first episode. And I also want to say that I really appreciated all the positive feedback that um, you guys gave uh, to that episode. Um, I certainly hope to keep uh, improving the quality of these recordings. And yeah, I I hope to hopefully make one of these per week. I know um, it was about two weeks since the last one, but um, that was because I was out of town. But hopefully going to try to make these every week. Um, Today, we're going to be looking at pitcher fatigue. That was the topic that uh, won the community poll that I threw into the OTV WhatsApp group. Uh, If anybody was interested in the other topics, don't worry. I'm certain that I'll make an episode on each of those topics uh, in the coming weeks. So yeah, without further ado, Let's get into it. A couple of notes regarding what I'll be covering today. Uh, I think this is a topic that has generated a lot of buzz in the past couple of weeks, uh, especially since we've seen a lot of uh, commentary on Yenir Cano's lowered arm slot. I know, I think Jim Palmer mentioned it on a broadcast, and Alex Fast of Pitcher List tweeted about it. And Mike Petrillo also tweeted about it. So I think, yeah, there's been a, a lot of buzz, particularly around Yenir Cano, about potential pitcher fatigue. And as we'll see in this uh, podcast, that certainly has been the case. There are signs that Yenir Cano is, is showing fatigue. But as we'll see, he is 
far from the only one that's doing so, unfortunately. So I think it's actually going to be a really interesting problem for the next 60 games of the season and the playoffs to see how the Orioles deploy pitchers in order to cover all the innings that they have to cover. Um, the first thing that I want to share is, or look at really, is just taking a look at what the current pace of our pitching staff is. For the purpose of this recording, I'm going to be looking at uh, all the pitchers that were on the roster as of July 28th, uh, at least the morning of July 28th, save for Shintaro Fujinami. It's kind of tricky because he went from starter to reliever in the middle of the season and uh, a very clear-cut one-inning reliever, I should say. So he, he changed roles very drastically. I think it's uh, you know, a little different from something like Cole, someone like Cole Irvin, who went from a starter to kind of long relief. He's kind of doing all sorts of roles. But yeah, in any case, I will say that for all the metrics that I'll be looking at today, Shintaro Fujinami looks fine, even when you compare it to, you know, let's say the number of pitches and innings that he threw in the Japanese league last year. Uh, honestly, I think there aren't too many concerns with him. His velocity is good, his command has been improving, and his release point has been fine. Uh, not to give too much away for some of the stuff that we'll be looking at in this episode. Uh, but anyhow, uh, looking at the current pace for Orioles pitchers, what we see is that a lot of these guys are going to be blowing past what they did last season in 2022. Of course, you know, we can look at the number of games they pitched and also the innings pitch, but I think perhaps most importantly is to look at really how many pitches are we projecting them or, or how many pitches are they on pace to throw for the current season? I think that that might be the best comparison, even more so than innings pitched. Um, so I think for anybody that's looking at it, we have a table that, that shows the percent uh, increase or percent change uh, for pitches, games, and innings pitched uh, from last season to the current pace that pitchers are on. And one thing that stands out is really that, unfortunately, all of our starting pitchers seem to have a, a fairly significant increase in just about each category of you know, how many pitches we're expecting them to throw, games and innings pitch we're expecting them to pitch in. Um, when we compare them to last season. Um, so just quickly going through this, I'll simply look at the increase in, in the number of pitches uh, compared to last season. Tyler Wells is, is on pace to throw 70% more pitches uh, than last season. Though. He's on pace to throw 2,800 Last season, he only threw 1,700. That's a humongous increase. Dean Kramer, uh, on pay, a 50% uh, increase in terms of how many pitches he will throw compared to last season. Um, he's on pace to throw 3,100. He Last season, he threw 3,100. Kyle Gibson, uh, on pace to throw 3,200. Last season, threw 2,700. That's a 17.5% increase. Kyle Bradish, he's got a 15.6% uh, increase. He went from 
2,400 pitches to now being on pace of 2,800. And Grayson Rodriguez, this is a big one. He's on pace to throw 2,800 pitches this year, and last season he only threw 1,200. In fact, he is already close to the number of pitches that he threw last year if he hasn't already exceeded it. So obviously that's a red flag immediately, which is just looking at how much our entire rotation is expected to throw compared to what they threw last season. Uh, I think it's honestly kind of unrealistic to expect all of these guys to hold up for the remainder of the season and the playoffs, um, given how much more they will be throwing compared to the, the, the 2022 season. And by hold up, I don't necessarily mean uh, injury. I, I more so mean just will they have the quality of stuff? Will will they be able to hold up their mechanics for the duration of the season? Uh, will they be able to hold up their velocity? You know, so these are all very real concerns for our entire rotation. I think this is going to be a very interesting problem, as I mentioned earlier, uh, for Mike Elias in the front office to address. Uh, I wonder if they'll try to do something where they kind of try to, to rest guys a little bit and maybe just have Cole Irvin pop in every now and then, kind of swapping Cole Irvin in and out for different guys in the rotation just to give them extra rest. Uh, I think, honestly, that could be really important, uh, especially for a guy like Grayson. I think any additional rest he can get is going to be really, really important. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a phantom IL or two for um, – one of these starters or maybe two of these starters, again, just to try to keep them healthy through the season and to keep their their stuff and, and their mechanics um, and just general arm health up for the remainder of the year uh, and through the playoffs. I think certainly the club hopes to have a deep playoff run, so you definitely want to protect the arms that, that are, are the highest quality uh, starters in the organization. Um, but it will be an interesting challenge. I think we will probably see some familiar faces that we've seen in the minor leagues uh, come in and cover some starter innings like Bruce Zimmerman, obviously Cole Irvin, who's currently in the bullpen. But I think we also might see some new faces. I think Chase McDermott might come in and uh, pitch a bit, maybe out of the bullpen, maybe in the rotation. Maybe we'll see Justin Armbruster, who's been doing well in AAA. Um, I think it, it's definitely going to be a depth challenge for the next 60 games. Um, and, of course, might still acquire some form of a back-end starter in the trade, trade, trade deadline, which I think could, could honestly be a big help uh, given uh, a reasonable cost. Um, turning our focus to relievers, I think just on the rate basis, Immediately, the most concerning one of, of pretty much anyone on this entire list, reliever or starter, is Denny Kulo. So last season, he you know was coming off of injury. He only threw 14 in the third innings. He only threw 260 pitches. He's already thrown more pitches than he did last season. Uh, he's on pace to throw 900, which isn't too many. And he's only on pace to throw 55 in the third innings, which, again, isn't too many. However, that's, you know, about a 250% increase 
in how many pitches he will throw compared to last season and, and how many innings he will throw compared to what he did last season. Um, so that's definitely a guy to keep a, a, an eye out in, in terms of how his stuff holds up, how, how his velocity holds up and just how his general health holds up. I think this is a guy who really could be primed to, to be shut down for a little bit or, you know, just be used more sparingly than he has. And, he has already been used somewhat sparingly, I think, because of the, this reason that, that he didn't throw too much last season. I think Genier Cano is also a guy to keep a lookout. Of course, you know, we mentioned that there's been a lot of, of buzz about potential fatigue in his arm. Uh, and he's not really on pace to throw many more pitches than he did last season. However, he's on pace to pitch in many more games. So I think that really raises the question of, well, What's more stressful, you know, 1,100 pitches in 44 games or 1,100 pitches in 75 um, games, you know, where you're very much so in a one-inning role. Uh, and, and I think that's really what's been taking uh, that additional strain or put, placing that additional strain on Cano's arm. Uh, and, of course, I think Felix, he's on pace to throw about 25% more pitches than he did last season. That is quite significant. Uh, I don't think he has shown too many signs of fatigue so far, but it's definitely something to keep uh, an eye out on. But yeah, uh, the next thing I wanted to look at is just kind of some of the key signs of pitcher fatigue. So I will be basing some of these criteria uh, based on a, a paper published by Dr. John Mishawk. Uh, and really those three main changes that he discusses in that paper are changes in release point, whether that be an increased or a higher uh, vertical uh, release point or a lower vertical release point. So um, the, the lower vertical release point comes from uh, dropping the elbow uh, from, fatigue, from fatigue, and then uh, the higher release point just comes from trying to stay too upright to kind of um, compensate for fatigue in other areas, you know, maybe uh, your your trunk and your, your legs, essentially. Um, also looking out for reduced velocity. Uh, and unfortunately, I, I can't really look at this um, in, in this episode. I wasn't able to, to pull the numbers together. Uh, but the third thing to look for is just uh, time in between pitches. Uh, I wasn't able to put together, you know, the month-by-month month, um, time between pitches for our pitching staff. Though I will also look at something that isn't necessarily discussed in the paper by, by Dr. Mishawk, which is just looking at are we seeing a month-by-month month deterioration in command. Um, I will be using Location Plus as a proxy for command, which isn't perfect, but I think it could be somewhat insightful. Um, and yeah, moving on, just a, a quick preview of, of what's ahead. It's just who has really shown signs of fatigue. And there's seven guys on, on the pitching staff who I think have shown signs of fatigue. Uh, starting off, Dean Kramer, then Kyle Bradish, Tyler Wells, Kyle Gibson, Yanir Cano, Michael Bauman, Danny Coulomb are the seven guys who I believe, uh, as I'll show, have are already starting to show 
some signs of, of fatigue. And then you consider that in the fact that Felix Bautista and Grayson Rodriguez are going to be throwing many more pitches than they did last season. You know, I think it's fair to say that, you know, nine of 13 of the pitchers on the staff uh, as of the morning of July 28th have realistic fatigue concerns. So now I'm just going to kind of uh, very quickly go through, um, you know, how or the the signs of fatigue that each of the the pitchers I mentioned uh, has been showing over the course of the season. So starting off with Dean Kramer, uh, for anybody looking, I'll, I'll have graphs up on, on the video form. Uh, but Dean Kramer, his velocity has decreased pretty consistently over the course of the season. Started out at around 95.5 and is down a full tick to 94.5. Um, it's not the end of the world, but it is a pretty clear downward trend for Dean and somewhat concerning, something to keep an eye out on. Then Kyle Bradish, same thing. He has also experienced some velocity loss. Um, he's only really lost about half a tick when looking at, at the slope of the lines as the start of, of the season. He's, he was sitting around, you know, 95-ish and is down to 94.5 around there. Uh, however, in his past five starts, um, prior to the, the start in Philadelphia, where he saw an uptick in velocity, his velocity uh, was pretty much on on somewhat of a free fall there for, for, for his standards, you know, dropped a, a full tick uh, from 95 down to 94. So it's going to be interesting to see if the bounce back in velocity that we saw in Philadelphia is going to hold up. Um, then it's going to be Tyler Wells. Same concern, velocity. His is the most concerning, in my opinion. His velocity has dropped about a mile and a half um, per hour since the start of the season. And obviously, I mentioned it early on, he's on pace to throw a lot more than he had. Um, last year, I, I hope that not all of the reduction in velocity is from fatigue. I hope some of it is kind of a conscious effort, knowing that he's going to be throwing a lot more. Um, but yeah, the next guy we're going to look at is Kyle Gibson. He's seen a slight decrease in velocity, much like Kyle Bradish of about half a mile per hour. But here, he's the first guy who we can really highlight that his release point, both his horizontal and vertical release point, has been getting further and further away from his uh, uh, average release point as the season has gone on. This is kind of an indicator that uh, that some fatigue may be kicking in. And, um, yeah, moving on to the next guy, Ganyer Canel. For anybody looking at the screen, his um, – this chart, which shows the, the absolute difference of a pitcher's horizontal and vertical release point compared to their average horizontal and vertical release point, it, it looks quite messy, but um, unsurprisingly, it does show that Yenir Cano's vertical release point has been getting uh, further and further away from his average vertical release point. Like we mentioned with Gibson, that's a sign of, of fatigue, and that's what we... We, we saw in those tweets that were that were uh, shared by Alex Fast and Mike Petrillo. Um, 
I think prior to his appearance in Philadelphia, he he posted, I think, the, his three lowest um, vertical release points of the season. So obviously something to keep a lookout, uh, an eye out for uh, with Cano as the season goes on. Then it's Mike Bauman. Uh, so for Mike Bauman, I, I didn't look at the full season in terms of velocity, but if we look at his last 30 appearances, uh, it has been decreasing quite significantly. It has gone from, you know, above 98 to now uh, around 96 in his, in over the course of his last 30 appearances. Um, I didn't do the full season with him because he started off at around 97 ish. And then he climbed all the way up to 99 and then he's been going back down. Um, but now he's um, at, at his lowest average velocity of the season. That's, pretty concerning. You got to keep in mind, this is a guy that it's his first full year being a true, like one inning reliever, um, you know, short stint reliever. Last season, he was still making some starts. He threw close to a hundred innings. So even though he's on pace to throw quite a lot less this season, he is, you know, probably placing a lot more strain on his arm uh, per appearance than he was, um, for most, for a lot of last year. And Mike Bauman's also the first guy who's been showing a kind of downwards trend in his command. Uh, his location plus has decreased uh, pretty steadily from, from since from April to July, uh, from 102 down to 96. He's a guy who honestly, I think, you know, if we get a reliever, um, and the trade trade deadline, or if we just want to call someone else up from the minor leagues, uh, as valuable as Bauman is, I would just send him down for a bit just to rest. Honestly, that that would be the only reason I would send him down. I think he's been one of our better relievers, but I really think he needs to rest because uh, some of the trends for for Bauman are really starting to to show that he he might be suffering from from fatigue about as much as anybody else uh, on the roster. Uh, And lastly, Danny Coulomb, his velocity has decreased a full tick since the start of the season. And he's also exhibiting the the same um, decrease in command that Michael Bauman has shown. So again, this it's tricky with Coulomb because I don't think he has options, but you know, I think he could be a guy who honestly could really maybe use a bit of a phantom aisle stint. Um, he's throwing a lot more than he did last season. And, uh, definitely want to preserve some of those innings um, for, for the next two months and the playoffs. Um, he's been an awesome surprise this season, and I certainly want to make sure that his arm's healthy and that we can keep um, watching him dominate as he has this season to be honest uh but yeah that was you know pretty much the the pitcher fatigue overview that um i wanted to look at originally this kind of started as uh trying to actually measure how usage or over usage of relievers would impact them long term but honestly that that was quite a hassle. I was looking at that particularly for 
you know, concerns with Cano and, and Bautista, but honestly, there weren't really any major concerns in that area. And um, the topic just kind of evolved into a uh, pitching staff breakdown. Um, and yeah, I think uh, I'm excited to keep doing these. And uh, I do have one more thing before uh, I wrap up, which is just a, a, an interesting little note uh, while doing all this looking into uh, release points and whatnot, I actually noticed that almost every pitcher that pitched in the Philadelphia series uh, for the Orioles experienced like fairly significant changes in their horizontal release points and their vertical release points, uh, or in some cases, both. My guess would be that, that, you know, something was maybe uncomfortable about the mound for, for the Orioles. I know some pitchers talk about how, you have to adjust to each mound. And, and I think that might've been the case because I mean, if one or two guys, um, you know, have fluctuations in their release points, it's one thing, but when you have almost all of your pitchers experience, um, you know, multiple um, shifts in their release points of, you know, at least an inch and a half, which sounds small, but it's actually quite significant when it comes to release point. Um, you know, I, I think it, it shows that's something about the mound or something about how uh, the release point was measured maybe by Hawkeye was a little different in Philadelphia than it was in other stadiums. I do personally lean towards the belief that the mound was just not comfortable for the pitcher, not to make excuses um, uh, for anybody, but I, I, I do believe that. Uh, I think the best example of that is Cano's uh, poor appearance. His release point, you know, it was a couple inches, uh, I think, higher up than usual and a couple inches further off to the right than usual. Or closer to the third base side than usual. And that doesn't sound like much, but it essentially changed his sinker into a four-seamer and a very poor four-seamer at that. All the movement profiles on his pitches went, you know, it, he became a different pitcher uh, just by those, uh, by that change in release point. And, and I wonder um, if, if, just there, there was a lack of comfort on that Philadelphia mound because um, it's not something that stood out from really any other series in the year um, where, you know, it's not like when we've gone to New York, everybody sees a significant change in their release point. It really was just this series. And, and yeah, I think it's just something, some food for thought, you know, the, the idea of how different mounds uh, in different stadiums can actually impact pitchers. Uh, yeah, but on that note, that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for tuning in to anybody that did. I certainly don't want to be, you know, a, a doomsayer. I think uh, so. Some, you know, when talking about pitcher fatigue, it might come off as somewhat uh, pessimistic. A lot of what was covered here, but I think I think Elias and the crew definitely have. Uh, plans to to you know manage the workloads for everybody on the staff. Um, 
I just think it's going to be an interesting puzzle to solve. You know, how are we going to cover the the innings in the next 60 games? And, of course, the playoffs. Uh, if we get there, going to knock on wood. Uh, in any case, I hope to put out the next Between the Numbers in about a week or so. Uh, and I think I will be making an episode on um, what constitutes a playoff contending core. Uh, yeah, it's either going to be that or just a, an in-depth look at the starting rotation. Um, but we'll see. Uh, going to sign off now. Thank you so much for listening and see you soon. That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more.